What's up, podcast listeners? Welcome back to Hello. the What's Up Castleberry podcast. That's Andy giving a shout out in the background. This is Andy Searles and Drew Taylor here. We are on episode 14 of the What's Up Castleberry podcast. And they said we'd never make it. Our we podcast, is, we're teenagers, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> does, well, that, does that mean our podcast needs to be like a little rebellious and adolescent today? I I, th- I don't think we'll have any trouble with that, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, we're so glad you're tuning in. If you have found us through the interwebs, welcome. Uh, we are local Castleberry residents and pastors and good friends who just desire to get together on a weekly basis and have casual conversations for the good of the people of Castleberry and Central Florida. We love our spread to go to Seminole County and beyond, but ideally we're talking about mostly Castleberry related issues and our guests, our friends, and are those who are involved with Castleberry. Andy, the calendar has turned to May, but we're only in phase one. We need some hope. You're in the hope sharing business. Help us out. Well, I think I think the hope is that we're in phase one, right? Some of us never thought we would get here or that it would be months and maybe even years coming, but we're in phase one and I think that's something to, to celebrate. Um, yeah, honestly, you know, Drew, I think what we do uh, professionally, who we are personally, and the very philosophy behind this podcast is that we want to share hope. And so hopefully that will uh, happen today as we talk with our incredible guest. But one of the things that I've been reflecting on recently about hope, I've been trying to share this with my church and a lot of the communication um, mediums and content I've been creating, is that hope is not some wishy-washy, feel-good, self-help thing. But there is some actual substance behind hope. And as I've been looking into this, both from a uh, theological perspective, from a scientific perspective, uh, from a, a real life uh, in the moment of crisis perspective, you know, hope is tangible. And I would encourage our listeners to dig deep into that idea that hope is something of substance. To, to, to grapple with, to grab a hold of. And it's something of substance that makes all the difference in the world to how we'll move forward through this crisis. I love that. The word tangible, it's like you read my mind. They came to my mind as well, that it's something we can, can grasp hold of. And oftentimes it's in very uh, basic and, and simple things. Uh, you and I are very relational and I tell you what, just being in contact with uh, people that we care about or, you know, in our case, whether it be church members or people from the community or family, uh, there, there's this real sense in which people are finding joy and, and holding on to hope of, oh, yeah, I, I can actually be in relationship with uh, this person that maybe I even took for granted in the past, where now there's there's something much deeper as a result of kind of being separated for a little while. So it's been interesting for sure. Yeah, one, one uh, evidence of that is I've been trying to watch some of the press conferences. I try to do it every day or at least a little bit. I, I can't stomach too much of it. But there's an interesting correlation between what the leader is saying, whether it's the president, the governor or a local leader, uh, and, and, and the stock market, 
right? And so if the president comes and he gives some uh, hope that things are looking better, there's a, there's a spike in what happens in real time in, in, in the economy. And it's almost like, okay, there's a tangible picture of hope. When we speak well, when we speak encouraging, something good happens. And uh, I want to be one of those people who uh, honestly and from a fact-driven perspective speaks well of situations to to make hope tangible for others. But honestly, Drew, I, I could preach about this stuff, but that's not what we're here to do today. That's right. I can see you're very excited. That's good. And and it, it ties in perfectly, Andy, to our uh, Castleberry in the News segment. Uh, you had shared with myself and several other friends uh, about some of this conversation of leaders determining and discussing uh, reopening and, and phase phase one and two and three seem to be sort of the buzzwords right now. And uh, there's, in fact, there's a big discussion as of this recording going on regarding the, the Florida Family Policy Council about reopening things like places of worship, uh, businesses, et cetera. Do you want to elaborate on that and kind of how you got connected with this group and what conversations are going to be happening? Yeah, well, often for this uh, section, you know, one of my primary sources is the Google News alerts about Castleberry. And Castleberry was listed because there are, um, you know, some churches and businesses that are wanting to kind of move forward very aggressively and some that are want to kind of cower and be on the back end of this. Uh, my posture in this is to figure out as a leader of my organization what it means to be both courageous and cautious right and those two things seem at odds with each other but we have to be courageous to kind of take some steps forward for everybody's sake we, we need to do that to stimulate the economy we need to do that to experience this human touch that is so important to us so i want to be courageous but at the same time i want to be cautious as well. As uh, this podcast has been released, we will be on day two of phase one, and we'll figure out what it means for restaurants and businesses to be open 25% and things like that. As I'm talking with some of my leaders at church, um, we're asking the question, what does it mean to be courageous and cautious? But we are not going to be a phase one opening church. Honestly, I'm thinking we're probably not going to be a phase two opening church as well. We're probably going to wait to phase three to open. Um, one, because we found a rhythm that works for us and our organization online. Um, secondly, while we want to be courageous in offering community and this tangible hope we've talked about, uh, we have some vulnerable people in our church, whether that be because of age or socioeconomics or something like that. And we want to respect them and be be cautious. Um, you know, I, I, I'm glad I'm not uh, a leader who has to make all these tough decisions on the mm. scale at many because... It's just really hard to try and balance courage and caution at the same time. Interesting you say that. I've thought very often during this past month how uh, just blessed we are 
to to have solid uh, earthly leaders, government officials, local leaders, uh, folks who are are standing in, and and I think the word courage is right on. Uh, it it to me, there's this real um, sense of we as Americans uh, are used to being able to determine and discern for ourselves how we go about and live our lives. In, in many ways, we are sort of under a larger authority, but but our autonomous sort of individuals or families where we can move and function and have our being. And this virus and quarantine has really rubbed up against that philosophy where there's yeah. a sort of a sense for the first time in maybe many years, we've had to come together and think of and exactly your point about uh, meeting online and caring for the vulnerable is not just thinking of what is what do I want or what do I prefer, but rather what is best for the, the larger community. And so that will be interesting as we enter into May. And frankly, listeners, we are encouraging you help in this effort uh, to, to remain patient and to be understanding, even if you perhaps disagree and say, I feel healthy, I feel fine, I want to this X, Y, and Z to open, uh, perhaps there's really wisdom in uh, cautiously moving forward. And that doesn't equal a lack of courage, but rather some real discernment and wisdom as we seek to care for people well. Yeah, I think you're exactly right, Drew. And I loved what you said. And I hope this becomes part of the new normal that's going to arrive, that we don't make decisions based on what's best for me, but we make decisions on what's based for us collectively yes um you, you know we put on our facebook page last week um a quote from you in the last episode that says we're better together and we really are and the only way that we can create this better togetherness is if we don't focus on our own interests but we seek to help and put others interests first as well. Just this morning, I was at this um, uh, a, a little breakfast conversation I was having with someone and they shared a quote from me and I'll, I'll find it and I'll put it on social media. It's from a Jewish leader, very wealthy man in the 1800. And a reporter said to him, how much are you worth? And he gave this number that was a lot less than what he had in his bank account. And the reporter kind of pushed back and said, well, you know, you know, hey, you've done this and this, surely you're worth more than this. And the guy said, uh, and again, I have to find a quote, but it was something like, my worth is not measured by what I have, but it's measured by what I share. And mm. I think that same principle is so important as we move through say, phase one, phase two, phase three. The primary question, is not what's best for me. And I know that's really, really hard when people are, uh, you know, still sick and, and especially when people are at work and without income, it's what's best for us. Um, so some of the thoughts that are going around my head are how do we balance courage and caution while asking what's best for us? 
Very good. Listeners, we're not even at the inspirational moment yet, but in our episode, but I think that was one <laughs> to think about courage and caution as we move forward during this this time. You, well, you're thank- right, Drew. Let's 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 move forward in the in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, that Andy, an interesting th- conversation. That was really good. Really, it it hits clearly to the heart of kind of what we desire to be with this podcast. Uh, Andy, one of the main tenets of this podcast is to do things for our listeners. And so let's uh, take a moment now. This is kind of a fun question. This uh, question and and the time of this podcast will actually be uh, presented on Cinco de Mayo, May 5th, will be the day in which you uh, listeners are hearing this podcast. So uh, the listener question today is about Cinco de Mayo. I'll ask the question in just a minute, but if you have a listener question, for us, we love to hear from you, and you can comment, connect with us multiple ways and platforms. Uh, you can connect through a direct message on our Facebook page, What's Up Castleberry. We hope that you've already liked and subscribed there. Andy referenced a quote earlier there. You can go to our Instagram page, What's Up Castleberry. You can email us at What's Up Castleberry, and then the number one at gmail.com or leave a question or comment in the review section of the podcast feed. So in celebration, so to speak, of Cinco de Mayo, (laughs) the question today, what's the history of Cinco de Mayo? Fellas, do you have any interesting thoughts or insights on this quote unquote holiday? Andy, I'll, I'll jump in first. The quote unquote holiday is correct. This really has become something that we've sort of uh, used as an excuse in culture to experience, demonstrate some revelry, some fun, maybe having a a few adult beverages or whatnot. Ironically, uh, the coronavirus has uh, has spread this Corona beer company and and people drink Corona beer thinking they're celebrating the Cinco de Mayo, perhaps. I'm reading from Wikipedia here. It says this was an annual celebration to commemorate the Mexican army's victory over the French empire in the battle of Puebla on May 5th, 1862. Uh, I was not alive or aware of that event. (laughs) You were not either. So um, not really sure what we're celebrating here, but people are having fun, aren't they? It's, it's, it's a good excuse for some tacos. I mean, I think probably most of us know by now that Cinco de Mayo is on Taco Tuesday in the midst of a pandemic named after a Mexican beer. Um, so there is some <laughs> irony there. Um, you know, kudos for you for doing the, the research on Cinco de Mayo. De Mayo honestly, I've, I don't know much about it. I've heard it was a Mexican Independence Day, and I, I, I could be wrong about that. Growing up in England, it wasn't part of my uh, childhood routine. Um, but, you know, I, I, I like, a, uh, like a good taco. And, um, you know, with Tijuana Flats been able to open at 25% capacity, I might try and figure out how I can safely be part of that 25%. Yeah, and celebrate. There you go. I like it. Good Tijuana Flats <laughs> shout out. Well, my, my quick uh, Let me memory. tell you why I gave a Tijuana Flats shout out, because they do so much for our community. They're at the events in the park. They serve the city. They've served our schools. They've worked with our churches. And uh, just just love that they are an active part of our community. Absolutely, as well as delicious uh, tacos and sauce too. We love we love you, Jonathan, the GM from uh, Tijuana and Castleberry. Well, my quick holiday memory of Cinco de Mayo. My very very 
best and oldest friend, Michael, uh, met his wife on Cinco de Mayo, proposed to his wife a couple of years later on Cinco de Mayo, and they wanted to get married on Cinco de Mayo, but it w- fell on like a Wednesday. So they got married the following Saturday. But <laughs> for, for Michael and Christine, their, their love uh, essentially sprouted from celebrating this holiday. Can, can so, I ask what food they had at their wedding reception? They, I think they did have some Mexican food. Yeah. I have to, I have to remember research that, but it was a, it was a lot of fun. I remember that everybody danced and had a really good, a good time together. So fun wedding. Well, very good. Well, there, there was our uh, listener question. Of course, we love to hear from you. Speaking of hearing from you folks, as we transition to a break and then our guest for today's episode, uh, we want to re- recognize and highlight the fact that we are looking for a sponsor. If you have a, a business uh, or some way in which you would like to communicate out about yourself that would be a blessing and serve the community of Castleberry, we'd love you to sponsor our podcast. Please reach out to us on our email, whatsupcastleberry1 at gmail.com, our Facebook page, Instagram feed. We would love to highlight you. This uh, podcast is not collecting any money. We do this for free. So we're not seeking uh, any kind of compensation, but rather a partnership, a relationship with you and your business. So reach out to us and let us know. And Tijuana Flats, we just gave you a freebie, right? And my guess is, Drew, that Tijuana Flats business will increase this week. And it's probably got nothing to do with the loosening of the restrictions. It's got everything to do with our free shout out. We're taking full credit for that. We will be back with our guest. All right, welcome back, listeners. Thank you for sticking with us. We're so glad you did because today we have an incredibly special guest with us, Gwen Haas. And Gwen is the new kind of hero that everybody is talking about. Just before we jumped uh, onto the recording, we were talking about how uh, the emergency room doctors are kind of the pass through, the overlooked heroes in the medical profession. Um, And we love, 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 love how the spotlight is turning onto these emergency room heroes. And we are honored and thrilled today to have Gwen with us, uh, who is an emergency room nurse at Dr. Phillips Hospital. Gwen, thank you so much for being with us today. As we start, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your family, uh, and how you serve as an ER nurse. Well, hi, Andy and Drew. I'm delighted to be here. And thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, And and just to note as well for our listeners, you are actually wearing some scrubs today. (laughs) I had to play the part. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't want to wear my pajamas. (laughs) So tell us a a little bit about about yourself. Who, Who are you? Tell us about your family, those kind of things. Well, um, I am married. I've been married to my husband for 21 years, and we have two beautiful, amazing kids who are pretty much teenagers now. Um, And of course, our dogs. (laughs) So one dog right now. Um, We live close to Castleberry, kind of on the winter springs Castleberry line. So we're very fond of this community. Um, And for my uh, professional life. Um, I've been an ER nurse for 20 years, 20 years next month. 
Wow. With, yeah. And um, I started my nursing career in 1996 at Orlando Health. And luckily, within four or five years, I found my niche. I found my calling for nursing, which, you know, where I wanted to be which was the ER. And um, it was at Sand Lake Hospital, which is now Dr. Phillips. And I absolutely love my job. Love it. Wow. Gwen, you, you have seen probably some of the, the scariest, um, most challenging circumstances, situations. But this past month has been a different sort of challenge and environment. You, you are quarantined. I mean, you're obviously going to work, but you have Mike and the kids around a lot more than you know, you're used to. I, we, I know your husband, Mike, well. Uh, what's more difficult and stressful, working in the ER or being quarantined with Mike all day and the kids? <laughs> well, I have to say home life is pretty darn easy. Uh, Mike is amazing. He's a great dad and a great husband. He is working every day, so that's he, he, nothing changed for him. But the kids are home, and they're easy because they're teenagers. They kind of are self-sufficient. So work, is work. on the other hand, is something else. <laughs> yeah, share, share with us a little bit about work, Gwen. Um, most of us, obviously, have been told, don't go to the hospital. Don't be there, or, or at least that was kind of my interpretation since the virus began. I don't want to be there. There's, you know just lots of confusion and questions. Um, what, what is sort of the general at your hospital? You're obviously speaking for uh, Dr. Phillips. What's the, the general mood of, of those that are coming in as well as yourself and your nurse team, doctors, et cetera? What's going on in the hospital from your perspective? Well, when this pandemic first began, it was probably like the middle of March and um, there was just, it was fear fear for all because um, there was so much uncertainty. We didn't know what we were up against. Everybody was trying to read every study and case study that was coming out of China and Italy. And all we had were pictures to go on and what they were doing and what they were doing right and what they were doing wrong. But there was no set model for them to follow the doctors. And we had to just go on what we were learning in a time of chaos like that, we all are scared. We're scared that we're going to jeopardize our lives to save others, which we do every day. But in this case, it was a little different because of the unknown. Um, so those first few weeks were, were very, very scary. And, and um, we all had to have a couple briefings each day about things that were changing. CDC kept changing things. Um, doctors were changing. I mean, doctors were making their own, um, their own like plastic boxes to intubate just to keep themselves safe because we didn't have, yeah, we, we didn't have anything like that before. So, um, it was, it was very different. I, I can say it's never, ever been that way in the ER and I never felt the way that we all were feeling. To say the least, we have bonded together more as a family. We call ourselves a work family, and we've been doing that for years. But we are so much closer because we have to have each other's back. We have to make sure before we go into any room that we're all prepared and we're all, you know, set up. Our, our PPE is, is on correctly. We're not missing anything before we actually walk in a room. Mm -hmm. So 
Yeah, I'm sorry. That, go ahead. No, that's remarkable. And I, you talked about learning things on the fly. You've been a nurse for 20 years, but I can imagine there was some kind of relearning of, of just terms of cleanliness and uh, self-care as well as being aware of the others on your team, like you mentioned. Yeah, it's, it's, it, we definitely are a stronger team because of it. Um, and, and it has gotten a lot easier. I mean, we now are more prepared, but again, it's, we, our influx of patients has dwindled to almost nothing. It's been wonderful. The curve, flattening the curve is working. Definitely working. So a lot of the fears that you had initially haven't been realized? You mean as far as what, we're, what we've seen? And yeah. what we're seeing? Yeah. No. It, we have seen, yeah, we've seen some pretty bad cases. Mm, yeah. um, and we've also seen more of just flu-like symptom cases, which is what we hope to see. Mm. Um, the really bad cases, I would have to say, were in the beginning. And that's what made us so scared. Mm -hmm. But those, again, the flattening of the curve and, and the elderly, the ones with comorbidity factors, they have other health problems, they took the, the warnings to heart and stayed home. But it was at the very beginning that I think, you know, they, if they were sick already, they had maybe come in contact with it. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. So. Gwen, Drew, Drew mentioned the, the mood of your, your team in the hospital, and I love that this has brought you guys together, that you're functioning as a team like never before. That's, that's awesome. Those are some of the silver linings through this crisis. What, what have you seen in terms of the mood of the patients coming in? I've been involved in my role as a pastor in a couple of situations where folks that I know who've had loved ones who've had to go to hospital and the loved ones had to stay home. And so they've kind of had to entrust that that care to, to you. Uh, I know this is off script, but um, you know, tell us a little bit about that because you haven't just had to have this increase in your technical medical skill, but I imagine you've kind of had to, um, you know, change the way that you care for people as well. Could, could you share that a little bit? Uh, yes. Interesting you brought that up because that is so true. Um, we've had to really, we have had to turn people away from the hospital. We don't allow anyone with children to come, even if they're sick and they bring their children. We cannot allow the child to come in. We have to ask them, you know, find a family member, find a friend to watch your child. They're not, we do not want to expose them to anything here because we don't know if they can get exposed here. There's a lot of still unknowns. Um, and yes, there's been really sick patients that can't have a family member back. And that's the sad part. It's truly sad because they're struggling, they're hurting, they're, you know, they want to see their family and we absolutely cannot, because they could be carriers, their family could be carriers and not showing any symptoms. We just have to really limit the exposure to anyone and everyone. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's done my heart well during this time when I've, you know, stood with kind of church members who've seen a loved one go off to hospital while they've stayed home to know that we're handing them off to folks who are just incredibly skilled uh, medically, but have great levels of compassion as well. And, you know, thank you so much for um, caring when we can't. <laughs> wow. I know that means so much to, to so many.
So getting back on, on script, what, what, what information would you want our listeners to know about the virus and about the effect that it's having on people? Um, well, we've touched on some of the things, which is to stay home. I mean, it's working. We have to flatten the curve. And good hygiene, good hand washing, don't touch, don't touch your face, don't touch your eyes, don't even touch your nose, your mouth, because um, that's how we're spreading it to ourselves. Um, we are learning more and more every day about this virus and how long it lives and on what surfaces, so, and, and how it's spread. And there's been all kinds of studies that this mask doesn't work, this one does. I would just say if I was in the out in the public, wear a mask, because we really, anything is better than nothing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and then don't visit your elderly family or any family that has any other health conditions. And I know that's sad too, especially with mother's day coming up and, and we, and, you know, we've got birthdays and celebrations for people and, and we can't all get together and Easter it, it's hard, but, this is something we have all never faced before, and we're facing it all together at the same time. So we really have to be careful. Well, Gwen, some thank you for, I completely agree. And something we are learning from our conversation with you uh, that we hope is helpful to the listeners is that uh, the efforts that are being made at staying home, they, they are working. And, uh, and, and I love what you said. Andy and I have talked about this some on the air already that there's this sense in which we turn the calendar to May and everyone is excited and you know ready to just kind of jump back full bore. But what you're saying and your perspective as a nurse and in the hospital is continue to be patient. Can, if you have folks around, if, if you, there's no direct need to go out, if you have folks that you interact with that are immunocompromised or elderly or young children, for example, keep protecting yourself because by doing so it sounds like you're you're really protecting them is how, how do you um coming off a shift how do you then transfer just coming home and and caring for your family well what does that look like <laughs> the beginning um well and still when i'm coming home from a shift um my husband makes me completely he's he's more paranoid than i am (laughs) i have to strip in the garage slice all my shoes they they go outside they get hosed down and immediately my clothes go in the wash and then the dryer so uh and the kids and my husband won't even they don't come out to see me they don't say hey mom welcome home i don't get any hugs anymore (laughs) so been tough i feel like um i'm the i'm the cause of the disease (laughs) uh, and then i just go and take a shower and um we had made early on when all this started we had made a plan me and mike if, if i was to show any symptom whatsoever that i would be quarantined and i was all for it because i don't want to pass it and i don't want to be a carrier of it either so very well said. It's sometimes it can be, it can be challenging and humbling to uh, admit that there's some real realities of sickness. But it sounds like you and and your team as a whole are doing a great job of keeping it contained. Gwen, I'm going to shift gears as we get ready to wrap up our conversation. Uh, Gwen, we've known you uh, each other for a number of years, and I know you have a real passion for running. 
Uh, would, as a just a little insight, a lot of folks are seeking exercise right now as a chance to de-stress during these challenging times. Can you tell us a little bit about your some of your racing accomplishments and how exercise is a motivating factor for you? Uh, exercise is wonderful, and um, I can't say enough about running. For those that can run, um, it is an amazing stress reliever. The endorphins, the runner's high, it's all true. Um, and, and it's a good time to think when you're out there by yourself, whether you're listening to music or just running and, you know, looking at nature, it is a wonderful time to just do some soul searching, praying or, or, or working through a problem. And you're just in your brain and you come home and you figured everything out. You know, you, you've come home with that new perspective. Um, and for me, I started running in my early twenties. Um, today, I won't say my age, I'm more of a fast walker, a slow <laughs> jogger, but, um, uh, yeah, I've run only one marathon, but over 20 half marathons. And I can't even count the amount of five K's, eight K's, 10 K's. Um, and they're all fun and they're fun. And once you find your niche and your running partners, if you want to run with people, it's so much fun and, and it's motivating and a great stress reliever. <laughs> I, I think I think that speaks, Gwen, to, to your integrity as you are helping the health of, of others, you are first taking care of your own health. Mm -hmm. And uh, as, as folks who are recipients of your care, we're very grateful for that. I can't believe we've come to the end of this interview. I've got like a thousand more questions to ask. Um, so so maybe just a couple more, more questions in closing. So Gwen, is this um, interview is released uh, on Cinco de Mayo. We're going to be like two days into phase one of the get back to normal process. What advice would you give to folks as we try to slowly move back to our new normal? Well, that's going to be very interesting. I'm, I'm actually curious to see how people, the, the society takes this. I, I hope they don't just run out of their house with cabin fever and just jump into the public and, you know, like this is a big party because I, I am afraid for our emergency rooms and afraid for, I mean, the virus is not gone. It's still there. So it's going to be an interesting thing. I hope, I hope and I pray that people will be very careful and I hope that they, they think first, they think first about their, you know, about the, about them spreading and getting this spread to them. I mean, this is, it's not a, it's, it's not something to take lightly. So mm. I, I, it's, it's, I have no idea. I have no words because I don't know how it's going to go. And I just want everyone to be careful. Yeah. I, I remember going into this and then halfway through it, having this picture of, um, our first day back at church together, right? Um, and what a celebration that would be because we'd all be together and high-fiving and hugging. And I've had to let that dream die, right? Because it's not going to be a snap of the fingers and, oh, we're back to normal. It needs to be a very, very slow um, process and walk walk back, yeah. So th thanks for encouraging us there. I think we're all keen to to see how it unfolds. But as we're watching that, let's be very cautious as well. And my second question, I think the final question today, uh, first of all, thank you. Uh, it's been so insightful and 
Thank you for quite likely that some of our listeners will have follow up questions, want to dig a little deeper. I know I've got a thousand. How can folks connect with you? How can they, um, you know, see you, get to know you, those kind of things? Um, they could contact me by email, probably. Yeah. What's your email? Gwen and Mike at gmail.com. Fantastic. That's good. Okay. We- We've got a we've got a nurse to to answer all of your medical. No, just kidding. Don't don't don't, <laughs> don't message her with your medical hardships. Oh, no. You could be the podcast nurse. <laughs> you know that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave that to the doctors in telehealth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's great. Gwen, thank, thank you so much for uh, your time today. I know it's a busy time. We want you to, to rest well while you can. And you've, you've sacrificed a little bit of rest for some more stress coming on our show. And we're, we're grateful for that. But sincerely from us, from our listeners, um, from those who've received care from you and received advice, thank you so much for being willing to sacrifice yourself to help others during this time. Uh, You know, I know it's, I hope it doesn't become a cliche uh, because there's so much truth behind it. You and your colleagues really are heroes in this time. Thanks, Andy and Drew. And thanks for having me on. I've enjoyed it. Absolutely. Thanks, Gwen. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow, Drew, what a what a fantastic interview. Thanks for bringing Gwen on the show. You know, there's lots of talk about uh, our first responders being heroes, and I think we've seen that what's happening in our hospitals really is heroic. So uh, thanks, Gwen, for, again, being part of our show. So today's inspirational moment, um, you know, comes from another great heroic leader, Abraham Lincoln, and he said... Whatever you are, be a good one. Whatever you are, be a good one. And I think one of the things that I love about this is it reminds us that we're not supposed to compare ourselves to others. You know, so often I'll see someone who does something heroic and I think, oh man, I I want to be like them. Or I'll see someone who's living in a way that's very different from mine that maybe I don't understand and isn't bearing uh, much fruit and much uh, goodness for them. And I'll think, oh, you know, thank goodness I'm not like that. And that attitude is also uh, really detrimental. I need to pull myself up because the reality is that I'm made and created uniquely. I have some gifts and talents that no one else has. And listener, you do as well. So as we've talked about before, be you. We want to say whatever you are, whoever you are, be a good one. Be the best, most excellent version of yourself that you can be. So thanks, uh, Abe, for that word of encouragement today. Whatever you are, be a good one. Even a good podcast host, right? That's We're, we're trying. We're trying our best. <laughs> well, we sure hope you've enjoyed this episode of the What's Up Castleberry podcast, a casual conversation about our community. This podcast is produced by Robin Kepi and James Bittner. 
Music has been provided by Jeremy Birdzall, and the graphic you see is by Christian Moscoso. For more information, please check out our Facebook page, Instagram, podcast feed, or email address, all with the name What's Up Castleberry. Like and subscribe to our podcast. Invite a friend, invite a neighbor. Please rate and review us. And until next time, have a great week.